With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. In terms of what we've been able to achieve as a group is, is pretty satisfying to this point. From where we've come from in the last 18 months, I think it shows great character, shows the great people we've got, and shows we've also got some bloody good cricketers in our team as well. So, yeah, I'm really proud to be in the position I'm in and even prouder of our group and our staff for what we sort of where we've come from, even from last week. I said that that was a, a loss that would break a lot of teams, and I was, and I was really confident that, that we weren't one of those teams. I could feel it. Uh, I thought we handled that week superbly. <clears throat> so to be able to carry it out over here under pressure with the crowds and everything that's been coming at us, it's it's a nice place to come and play cricket, but it's bloody difficult in England, if you're honest. And, yeah, again, couldn't be more proud of the way our group have handled um, everything that's been thrown at them. And, you know, you have a little bit of success, and uh, particularly on the back end of, of last week and then the last 18 months, um, we haven't had a lot of success. And we haven't, haven't had a lot of really happy times, and we're starting to, to get them, which is um, awesome, and um, I think this group really deserves it. My dream as a, as a cricketer was to come here and, and win an Ashes. Uh, it certainly wasn't to be a captain of a winning Ashes. And it doesn't really mean any more to me or any less to me. I've said a lot of times that my part in this team is, is one of many jobs that people are doing. I just get to, I suppose, get a lot of the credit at times. But it's certainly something that we share around our group, both players and staff. And, and yeah, I'm just bloody happy to be a part of it, mate. I could have been working at Kookaburra, so um, this isn't too bad.
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, and that was Australia's victorious Ashes captain, Tim Payne, speaking about the achievement of his team. And joining me on the podcast to review Australia retaining the Ashes is Chief Cricket Writer for News Corp, Ben Horn. Ben, how are you? Good, thanks, man. It's a momentous day for Australian cricket. Yeah, I was uh, in England in 2001 for a couple of the test matches on my honeymoon. And if you told me then that Australia would not retain the ashes on English soil for another 18 years, I wouldn't have believed you. It's just uh, just what a, what a feat by this team that was literally 18 months ago on the canvas in South Africa at an all-time low now to this achievement. It is incredible. I mean, it's, it's certainly not the year that you thought that the drought might be broken. Uh, 2015, I think, there was probably higher hopes that Australia would go over there and get the job done. So it is a huge effort. Uh, obviously, Steve Smith, an enormous part of it, but uh, some excellent bowling contributions from Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood in particular. And I think the, you know, the, the captaincy and the coaching of Tim Payne and Justin Langer can't be underestimated either because you know they had a broken dressing room they had to put back together. And, uh, yeah, the leadership and some of the decisions that they've made with how they want to go about their business, uh, I think that's that's been a huge factor in what's happened today as well. Yeah, Tim Payne said after the game that, you know, there were other people that helped get this tour together. We mentioned Pat Howard last time, but also Darren Lehman and a few of the other support staff that helped the team prepare for this English Ashes series. And they've never been better prepared for an Ashes series. So it, it's no surprise then that they've got the best result in a long time. Yeah, I mean, the preparation has been the best you could hope for, but I don't really know that that's been the deciding factor, to be honest. I think it's been more about the attitude and the mindset that the team's come with, which, you know, may have been helped along by some of the practice they had. But, you know, if you look at the players who performed, uh, they are, with the exception probably of Marnus Labuschagne, who's been a revelation, it probably is the senior players who have led Australia to to victory, but they're senior players that themselves probably needed to learn a few lessons from how to play in English conditions. And, um, yeah, that's that's impressive. And, yeah, I, I sort of, it's, you know, it is true that a lot of people put in a lot of work, but I think uh, I think it's the group, the current group here that needs to take the credit. They're the ones that have gone there with the right attitude and the right game plan to win. Absolutely. And to bounce back after that stinging defeat at Headingley, I mean, that, that game could have broken a lot of teams, but this team was able to get it together and fight back and put in a fairly dominant performance over this Old Trafford test match. No doubt about that, Manners, but uh, I do think that this test proved very emphatically that Australia was the best team. Uh, you know, I think that was probably becoming clear during the third test, but the way England fought back, you, you did have to kind of allow for that huge swing in momentum. But it was pretty obvious after a day or so in uh, in Manchester that Australia was the best team uh, in this series. And it didn't mean they were going to win the test. England fought to the death again. But, uh, you know, it, it would have been... It, it would have been, I mean, travesty's probably going too far, but Australia deserved to win this test. That They, they deserve to win the, the series inside four. Yeah, and you have to commend England then for pushing it so far and pushing the Aussies all the way in this game. I think that 
you know, I'm trying to sort of see where this achievement sort of ranks in, you know, the history of Australian cricket. And it really feels to me like when Australia won in India in 2004, I know, I think it had been a bit longer, it had been 30 years since we won in India. But uh, I think for, you know, this Ashes series was so important to Australia. The Ashes is so important. And, and we'd had that run from 89 to 2001 where we never looked like losing a series in England and all of a sudden we can't win. I mean, the, to turn the tide and, and bring the Ashes home, it, it's just it's, it's hard to know where to put it. Yeah, well, I think that's pretty. you've pretty much summed it up, man, as I think uh, the Indian comparison is pretty, pretty spot on. I reckon, um, you know, the, the, the concerning thing, look, I, I've covered two England tours 2013 and 15 and the problem there was Australia actually got worse I think from 13 to 15 like 13 there was a lot of excuses for them because um there there was all the drama with Mickey Arthur getting sacked Darren Lehman coming in uh so there's a few excuses for Australia in that Ashes series 2015 they were the favorites and uh completely butchered it and that was the concerning thing that they were actually getting worse. Um, so it's taken a huge mindset change to, uh, yeah, to basically combat the conditions. And, you know, despite the fact that Stuart Broad and Archer had great series for England, uh, Australia's batsmen, obviously led by Steve Smith, came out on top. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the fourth test at Old Trafford. Australia won by 185 runs. I stayed up all night watching the conclusion. When I switched it on, I did think England would capitulate within a few hours, but they fought and they took the game into the last hour. And at at the end, Australia only had 13 overs up their sleeve and there was a bit of cloud coming over, so you thought they might go off for bad light. So it started to become really nervous. And, you know, the English team, they scrapped all the way and a pretty good effort to take it into the last hour. Yeah, absolutely. You certainly can't take away their fight. They just were beaten in the, I guess, in the, the skill areas of, um, you know, of setting the match up, which I suppose is where you you, you see your, your best batsman shine. I mean, England, you know, Stuart Broad and Archer were outstanding, held their own with the, with the Australian bowlers. Ben Stokes was obviously a point of difference for a couple of tests there. But uh, in, in most other departments, even if it wasn't convincing, Australia had the upper hand. And, uh, you know, it's hard to win a series when you're giving up that, those many, that many advantages. And, uh, yeah, but look, they fought really hard. If they pulled off that draw last night, that would have been almost uh, uh, an effort to equal the win from the last test, to be honest with you, because uh, I agree. I thought that that one would have been over by lunch or shortly after. And, um, yeah, but, yeah, unfortunately, just, just not good enough. And there are some massive concerns for England. Um, you know, you, you look at their top six and there's a lot of players there that, uh, you know, in an ideal world, you, you would have already been dropped in this series, but it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of options coming through. So I'll just give you a bit of an insight into what was going through my head at about, you know, 3 a.m. Sydney time Monday morning. So Australia weren't... Uh, getting the wickets and they were talking about, you know, Lyon had a split finger and I was thinking, God, you know, if England somehow draw this game, Australia goes to the oval, that the Lyon split finger, the fast bowlers will be cooked after this effort and then uh, maybe England could pull off some miraculous turnaround and win the final test. So I was having all sorts of nightmares. I think, you know, 18 years of hurt uh, sort of was compounded into my thought processes, but you know, when Tim Payne threw the ball to Manus Lobeshane and he, he got one to sort of 
grip and bounce and catch the inside edge of Jack Leach's bat. And the little general, Matt Way, took a great catch. Uh, that was sort of the vital moment and good captaincy by Tim Payne. Yeah, I mean, look, I was um, quite strong on the criticism on Tim Payne after the last test was way over the top for the simple reason that despite what happened at Headingley, Australia was still on the verge of a very special Ashes win and, and we're still favourites to pull that off. So that's been proven a week later. He, he may not have played the key role with the bat, but that's, you know, to be honest, that's not what he's there for. He's He's been the glue, um, I suppose, during a period where the team had to be put back together. He was almost in tears after the game. He sounded choked up. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a massive achievement and one that, he never would have thought he'd be part of. I mean, he was resigned to not only playing domestic cricket, but basically retiring and uh, going to work for the Kookaburra um, Manufacturing Company or whatever. So it's just, it's an absolutely stunning story. And, um, you know, he's, he's done an absolutely tremendous job. So, yeah, he's um, he's been fantastic. But, look, your fears, your nightmares were justified because <laughs> if they get out of that, I mean, it doesn't matter that Australia's the better team. You, you, you know, the, the slate gets wiped clean, you start again and all it would take is one session to go England's way and the whole thing could have, could have turned on its head. So, yeah, yeah, Australia had to get the job done last night and they did. Yeah, I mean, in 2009, I thought Australia was the better team and then they got to, I think, the Oval and Broad cleaned them up and they stole the series. So I just had all those things bubbling around inside of me. Benny, but look, let's turn our attention to some of these heroes. Let's start with Stephen Smith. So far in the Ashes in about three or four innings, I think five innings actually, 671 runs at 134. I think I said to you in our preview that I thought Smith could give Bradman and Mark Taylor's runs tally and nudge, and I'm not far off. Yeah, you picked that one well, Menace. Um, No, he was... Absolutely unbelievable. I mean, the fact that his lowest scores for the series are 92 when he got knocked out and 81 when he had to throw the bat to um, get to a declaration is is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he he could not be, you know, they could not get him out. I mean, he's essentially made a century every time he's batted in this series. And it's, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, I, I don't think, you know, I've seen some amazing series from Smith himself, but... This just takes the cake because it it is on the back of 12 months out of the game. And as good as Steve Smith was, if you don't play uh, at the elite level for 12 months, uh, you know you see you see examples for different reasons in other sports that that's a long time to be missing, you know, to, to, to miss that top level, and it can be hard to get back. So even for a player of his greatness, there would have been doubts about whether he's going to come back or how long it would take him to come back. So it's quite phenomenal in that context that he's come back almost better than than he was. Yeah, unbelievable. Unsurprisingly, Joe Root nominated Smith as the difference between the two sides. Uh, just some stats uh, for the listeners. Steve Smith, 211 in this fourth test, was his third double century against England. It was also his third double century in tests. It was his 11th test century against England. Only three batsmen have got more centuries against one opposition. Steve Smith's average in the first innings of tests is 93.64, so certainly is Bradman-esque. And uh, in the last three Ashes series, Smith has scored over 500 runs in each series, asserting his dominance in the most important rivalry in cricket. And uh, I put out a poll on the weekend asking whether 
fans would be happy to see Steve Smith take the captaincy again. And I got a 65% uh, yes saying they would be happy for him to take the captaincy and 35% no. I think uh, he's winning back the public's favour. Oh, I think that's well and truly done now. I mean, for mine, the bigger question mark over the captaincy is probably more whether he wants it, to be honest with you. And uh, I have no idea. But, um, yeah, look, there's a lot of factors. But right now... um, if you look at how other players in the team perform this series, if Tim Payne was to, to fall over in the next six months or next year, um, who would who would take over? I know Travis Head has a lot of support, but he's had a pretty average series. You know, Mitchell Marsh was made a vice-captain a while ago. He's currently out of the team. Uh, Usman Kouage has been floated. He's currently out of the team. <laughs> Steve Smith is, the, yeah, is, is really the only option at the moment, unless someone else asserts themselves. But look, it's a it's sort of a speculative argument because there's no suggestion of Tim Payne going anywhere at the moment and, and nor should he for that reason. I mean, Steve Smith still has another uh, sort of best part of 12 months to serve on his ban anyway. And, and then, yeah, look, I'm not sure that there needs to be anything rushed with Steve Smith, but if it organically works out in the future that he comes back to the captaincy, then, you know, I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of dramas with it. I think the biggest drama could be whether he himself wants to take that on. But as you know, in the Cricket Australia sort of sanctions, there was a clause saying that they would sort of try and gauge the public sentiment towards Smith when he came back and use that in deciding whether he was eligible to be captain again. So it is important that it seems like uh, he's winning back the hearts and minds of the Australian people. Yeah, it is. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, it's a bit of a cop-out, isn't it, from Cricket Australia to, to say we'll leave it in the hands of the hands of the public but um yeah look i mean there's no doubt that steve smith's won back the favor and um yeah look uh, you know that was yeah it's it's a it's, an, it's a fascinating question and i don't know the answer to it yet but you know there's certainly no reason why he should be ruled out of the captaincy in the future that's that's that would be my only opinion but it doesn't mean he will do it again now uh, two other players that were just oh, just they just stood up and showed some real guts and determination. Pat Cummins, four for 43 in that second innings. Josh Hazelwood, two for 31 in that second innings. Also took the last wicket. And so far in the series, since Hazelwood's come back into the side, he's taken 18 wickets at 16.88. And Pat Cummins in the series has taken 24 wickets. So, I mean, Cummins and Hazelwood have been amazing. Yeah, they have. And, um, you know, for different reasons. Um, Josh Hazelwood would have been a bit rocked, I imagine, by firstly not making the World Cup. He definitely was. And then being left out for the first test barely happened to him in his entire career. And the way he's bounced back from that, I suppose, is exactly how Australia would have wanted him to bounce back. And it's, uh, and it's you know, proven a bit of a masterstroke. With Pat Cummins, he, he's bowled so tirelessly. There was a couple of points there in the, was it the second or the third test where he looked like Perhaps he was going to suffer the same fate as Archer and just get a bit tired, but he regenerated for this test. I would rest him for the last test. I mean, you'd consider resting Hazelwood too, but I'd certainly rest Cummins. I think he's done an enormous job, um, and I just think uh, you know there's no sense based on the strategy that they've held through the series. I don't think there's a lot of logic in pushing him through a fifth test. I'd also look at picking Mitch Marsh for this test because. Uh, I think that you know that the all the help they can give the bowlers at this point is uh, is probably for the best because you know we're going to blink and there'll be the home summer starting again. So you know, I'd probably look at bringing in Marsh and and, um, and resting Cummins. So who would you bring Marsh in for then? Um, probably Travis Head. 
you know, Matthew Wade, I guess, would be the other option. But, uh, you know, it's not that I'm saying that those two are screaming out to, to be dropped. I just think that, you know, Mitchell Marsh is a, you know, I think it's more of a strategic decision. And, yeah, I'm not so, yeah, I'm not sure they will do it. But I just think, um, yeah, uh, at this stage with the series wrapped up, yeah, I think that would be something they'd look at. Yeah, I think Matt Wade's been impressive in, in a few occasions this series. But, you know, I think mm. it was uh, – Shouldn't be undervalued, Matty Wade sticking with Steve Smith in that second innings and, and just giving Australia a bit of breathing space in, in getting that target above 300 and putting the pressure back on the Poms. Yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, he made 100 in the first test. And, you know, that's, that can't be underestimated either. There's only a couple of blokes who made a 100 in this series, and he's one of them. So, yeah, look, I'd favour... If there was to be a change, I'd favour Head. But, I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, they've just won the Ashes... The, the less changes, uh, yeah, less changes, probably the better, and uh, and more likely to pretty much keep the same team. I'm I'm just saying that if you're looking forward to the summer and and really just trying to take the heat off the bowlers, then having that extra bowling option might help. Yeah, uh, Mitchie, Mitchell Stark looked a little bit short of a gallop at times, but I, I think we saw the the uh, positive thing of having a left arm quick to balance out Hazelwood and Cummins. I mean, Stark got three vital wickets in the first innings and he only got one in the second innings. But, you know, that triumvirate of, of Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark is probably still our best attack. I liked the Stark selection for the simple reason that it just showed a really good attitude from Australia that we're going out there to win this test now. We're not We're not saving anything for the fifth test. We're going for it now. Um, I just thought it was a, it was a very positive move. Uh, they just backed Stark in and Stark's ability to take quick wickets and win matches. And, you know, he, he made a 50 with the bat, which which really helped put the game beyond reach. And, you know, and he contributed. And, you know, look, he is a bowler who takes time to warm up. Like, I mean, and, and it was a difficult surface for, for bowlers in general. But, um, yeah, I, I really liked... Um, his contribution and particularly just what it said about how Australia was going to approach that match. I think that was key in recovering from Headingley and bouncing back. Yeah, sure was. And now Australia goes to the Oval. They've retained the Ashes, but they they haven't won the series. And I noticed in Payne's voice and, and Steve Smith as well, I think there is a real determination by the squad and the team to finish this off. Let's win this series. You know, the job's almost done, but not quite. Yeah, sure. And and they should now. They should. I mean, they are the better team. It's, it's taken, you know, maybe it took two or three tests to determine that, but it's absolutely clear now that Australia is the best team in this series. And, you know, that weight of, uh, of, the, of the urn is now off their shoulders. And, you know, you'd expect them to go out there and, and win this last test. I, I think that they... Um, yeah, this, this last test could be a bit of fun for them. I hope so indeed, Ben. Well, look, thanks for jumping on the podcast to talk about a, a day that will live long in the memory of Australian cricket fans. The Ashes are safe. Uh, Australia uh, leave, will leave English shores with a little urn in our possession, which is something uh, we haven't been able to say for 18 years. So uh, I think we can all sit back feeling a little bit prouder today, Benny. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been a tremendous effort and... Um... Yeah, hopefully it's not as long a wait till the next time, Menace. I agree. Well, Ben, thanks for jumping on and we'll speak soon. Thank you, mate. Cheers. That was Ben Horn, one of the chief cricket writers for News Corp. And coming up in a moment, I'm going to continue my post-Ashes retention wrap and have a chat to Sam Landsberger, who was actually over covering uh, the first 
part of the Ashes series, so I'll be chatting to him in a minute. But before that, I just want to remind you, if you have a moment, and I haven't asked this for a while, I've been too busy um, talking about the Ashes and getting excited about the standard of cricket, but if you've got a moment, please go on and rate and review the podcast on on iTunes or whatever app you listen to the show. Uh, Leave a funny review, um, send me a screenshot of the review so I can read it out on the show. And look, if you think you've got some mates who might want to listen to the show, share uh, Cricket Unfiltered on social media. Um, Why not put it out there for all your cricket-loving friends? All right, coming up after the break, Sam Landsberger. What I love about those two fast bowlers is that from day one in this series to this afternoon, the same effort's coming all the time and you can't ever fault them. They run in hard, bowl as fast as they can every time they get the ball in their hand. Um, and for me, that's a real a real weapon to have. And again, I think those guys showed not only a huge amount of skill, but a huge amount of toughness. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. That was Tim Payne praising Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood. And joining me to continue this celebration of Australian cricket is Sam Landsberger. Sam, how are you? Pleasure, and it is a celebration indeed. It's a great time to be talking cricket for Australian cricket fans, isn't it? It is. So, Sammy, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I know you were over in England uh, covering a couple of these Ashes Test matches. When you sort of look at the achievement of this Australian team, where does it sort of rank? It's right up there, isn't it? I mean, nobody probably gave them a chance six months ago. Um, Australian cricket was in a pretty dark place last summer. But to do something they haven't done in 18 years and, and win the Ashes on English soil, uh, that is incredible. Uh, I think Justin Langer and Tim Payne would be very, very proud right now because a lot of planning has gone in and they've done it with a test of spare as well. I mean, let's be honest, apart from Ben Stokes at Leeds, Australia's dominated this series, absolutely dominated. It's a, uh, it's a really resounding performance so far. Yeah, so, you know, we talked about Steve Smith, but, you know, just sort of touching on what Tim Payne said about Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood, they've just been incredible right throughout this Ashes series. I mean, Hazelwood, I know, wasn't picked in the first game, but since then he's just bounced back. And uh, just just those two senior players, along with Smith, have been immense. Hazelwood's been amazing. I mean, he, he he's really cracked the code in terms of how to bowl in, in English conditions. Um, he's not trying to put as much swing in the ball. He's just basically leaving the juice ball and the pitch take care of itself. So he's really got his control right um, he, and he's mastering these conditions. And he's been unplayable some of the time. And, and Patrick Cummins overnight, my goodness. Yeah, between him and Steve Smith, they were never going to lose that test. They were both in red-hot form. And they're t- statistically the best batsman and bowler in the world. And, and I think they showed that overnight. Yeah, I was getting very nervous as the test dragged on into the last session. I was getting extremely tired and extremely nervous. So when Hazelwood was able to get Overton out, LBW, uh, it was a bit of bedlam in my living room at, you know, almost four o'clock in the morning. It was just scenes and uh, history was made. How do you celebrate in the living room? Just sort of a few fist pumps? Does, the, uh, does anything get thrown against the wall? Does- do you raise a glass? What was going on? Yeah, danced around. I uh, ran into my bedroom and shouted in my English wife's ears. No, I didn't. She would have <laughs> killed me, but I wanted to. 
and yeah, sent out a couple of, you know, self-gratifying tweets and then um, went to bed. But uh, it, it was just something that, you know, was so satisfying after the, the heartbreak of Headingley and Australia being so close. Then, you know, as England pushed this game longer and longer, you know, the nightmares came back. But then to end it all and uh, retain the Ashes um, was such a relief. And, you know, you've been following this Australian team, I guess, from the World Cup and then into a lot of the Ashes. I mean, how have you seen this team come together? Just before we go there, I think you make a really important point. I mean, given the heartbreak at, at Headingley only a week ago, there was the possibility that that would scar some of these players forever and they would never get over what happened in that dramatic finish there. Obviously, Nathan Lyon butchered the run out, Tim Payne butchered the DRS, Patrick Cummins had a say in that as well. If Australia loses this Ashes series, their moments of these players never get back and they will never get over. So. To, to come out the next test and wipe away all that pain and win the series is really significant because I think the scarring from that from that test um, would never have gone away uh, unless they, they won the earn back, and they've obviously done that. So from a mental point of view, you, you, you cannot um, overstate the significance of that win. Yeah, and uh, just sort of talking about the way the teams come together, I agree with you, by the way. I mean, you know, Pete Lawler's been saying that this comes across as a really happy team, a really unified team. I mean, how did you see it? Yeah, again, I mean, I'd sort of be drawing on World Cup experiences here, but that was bang on. I mean, obviously, Ricky Ponting was around a lot during the World Cup. They really were quite happy and and really enjoying each other's company. I I think they were sort of galvanised by a bit of the... um, yeah, the, the the crowd support, the, the crowd booing and whatnot, I think that really did bring them a little bit tighter together. Um, I think, you know, all 15 players in the World Cup had played a game by, what, the fifth game or so. It it really did bond quite quickly. Um, and no doubt, you know, while a lot of the white ball players have travelled elsewhere since, I think that sort of, that team harmony has really carried over when the, when the test squad came together. So... Um, and that's credit to Justin Langer as well. I mean, I, I think he's um, he's assembled a, a really good group, um, and this is a big tick in terms of his international coaching career. I mean, he's very early in the job, but to win the Ashes in England, uh, that's going to stand the test of time. Your mate, Justin Langer. Mm, my little mate. <laughs> so, you know, you covered the Headingley test. It must have been great to be there for that. That was something I'll never forget. I mean, I've been fortunate to see a lot of live sport over uh, my time in the caper, and that was something which I think will will never be beaten. I walked away from the World Cup final six weeks earlier thinking, my goodness, that that will never be topped, but the the heavenly test was that times a thousand. You know, it was just all the twists and turns of the way. I mean, Joffre Archer taking six on day one, England bowled out for 67 on day two. It it just had everything. Um, and, and that Stokes innings, my, my goodness, like it, it, it's it's indescribable. Yeah, it was it was simply amazing. And, and when you left the test, did, did you think the tide had turned and maybe Australia were going to be run down? To be honest, no. I mean, all the English tabloids were were, were harping on about that, about how the m- momentum is with the English now, and you know the, it was like a runaway train. Two days before that, they were calling for Joe Root's head as captain. So it really is a, a, a fickle industry. Just I, I thought. Tim Payne's leadership after that game was really important. Ben Stokes obviously hit Pat Cummins to the boundary to, to, to get the win. And then Payne brought the Aussies into the dressing room and said, come on, boys, we've been in winning positions in, in all of these tests. 
we're on top of these guys. And that was that was the truth. England got out of jail on that one, but they certainly didn't have the momentum. They weren't playing the better cricket. And so what that, that might have been the external narrative, but they're inside the Australian dressing room. They were still very, very confident. Um, and it played out that way at Manchester, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And, uh, you know, I think the longer this series has gone on, we've seen not only England's batting exposed, but Jofra Archer, I mean, he made such an impression in the second test, but he's he's really sort of uh, flattened out since then. And we're seeing sort of the, the, the tough nature of test cricket maybe slightly expose him. Big workload, isn't it? I mean, I think he bowled more overs than anyone at the World Cup. Or, or just about. He obviously went back to Barbados straight after the World Cup final. He was carrying a little bit of an injury there. And to play four tests back to back to back to back with very short turnarounds, um, it's, it's, a, it's a big workload. And my goodness, Joe Root's been sort of bowling him into the, into the ground almost. I mean, he's, he's put down that many overs at, at you know, such a high volume at, at high airspeed. It, it has to take its toll. He's now got to back up three days later to, to go to the Oval. And you have to w- worry, you know, will the Venom be there? Will he be the same Joffre Archer that we saw at Leeds or at Lords? You'd have to think not. The, England's going to have to manage this bloke very, very carefully because, you know, this is ob- he's obviously new to test cricket and it, it's hard work. Absolutely hard work. A couple of players finding it hard work. We'll, we'll stay in England. Joe Root, it's been a tough summer for him. He's now the first captain on English soil to surrender the ashes since 2001. So it's not a record he'll be proud of, but he has struggled. We saw him dismissed from an, by an absolute perler from Pat Cummins. And, Great you know, ball. Oh, Great such, ball. So good. But, uh, I mean, Roots looked a, a bit of a broken man throughout the summer. He has. Um, and, my goodness, when he got that duck in, uh, in the first innings at, uh, at Headingley in front of his home crowd, you, you had to feel for him. His Ashes record is, is really poor. What is it? You know, I think nine tests now for, for one win where they got out of jail and seven losses and two draws or something. It's a really, really poor Ashes record. There's not many in English history with a worse record as captain than Joe Root in the Ashes. So, um, that's a question mark for him. Um, I, I was really, when I got to Headingley, I was blown away by the fact that the captain and the coach were just so far apart in terms of their batting lineup. Jo- Joe Root obviously wanted um, Jason Roy to open. Trevor Bayliss wanted him in the middle order. And to just to not be on the same page about your batting lineup, I, I thought was a a really uh, a bad sign. Um, and it's played out that way. Michael Vaughan was saying, what are you doing at number three? You should be at number four. That's where the best players in the world bat. Steve Smith, Virat Kohli. Why are you at three, Joe? Yeah, just the uh, just the disconnect in terms of their batting lineup. Um, I thought I thought that was a really good insight into a, a team that lacked confidence. Yeah, fractured team by the sounds of it. So another player for Australia that's really struggled is David Warner. He's now got three ducks in a row. You know, he's got one score of 60 all summer. The only time he's got into double figures. I mean, I mean what, do, what does Australia do about David Warner? Do they pick him at the Oval and then hope he comes good on Australian wickets? I mean, it, it just seems like whatever Stuart Broad does, he's going to get him out. Yeah, I, I think I think he's a certainty to play at the Oval. Yeah, that, that, that one score of 61 he made, my goodness, I think there were about 12 plays and misses early on. So he was really scratchy there as well. Oh, yeah, the one the Ashes, um, so that that does sort of wallpaper over the cracks a little bit. But I'll be backing David Warner in a, in a home summer. I think in Australian conditions against a, a, probably a weaker opposition coming up, um, I think he'll you know I think he'll he'll really relish that. So yeah, I think you have to play him at the Oval. Um, you've won the Ashes. So 
Um, you know, you, you don't throw the formula out. And, yeah, it's been a really tough summer. He made a lot of big centuries in the World Cup. I know it's a different, I know it's a different game and it was a different ball. But in Australian conditions this summer, um, I think there'll be full confidence in David Warner to bounce back. And who do you think uh, should open the batting with him in the test matches? It's a good question. I mean, Joe Burns, oh, be pretty. he'd have to be right in the mix for the Gabba, wouldn't he? I mean, Cameron, Cameron Bancroft had his go, he didn't take it. Marcus Harris had his go, he didn't take it. They both had two tests. They both failed to make a score. Joe Burns, what is it, 16 tests for four centuries or something like that? That's like, right. It's a, it's a great record. Very unlucky not to be in the squad, given the fact he's a, you know, he's a, he's a right-hander as well. They've obviously been causing... The English take a few more troubles, so maybe he should have been in the squad. And given the failures of the two blokes around him, oh, oh, he, he has to be in, in the mix for the Gabba, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he has to be. He should have been in the mix for the Ashes. I think it's a, it's a big oversight. I wonder whether Australia will be tempted to give Udman Kawaja one more test in England at the Oval and say in place of Marcus Harris um, and stick Warner and Kawaja up the top. Yeah, it's a good point, isn't it? I mean, will they go that way? I'm not sure. I mean, is is Uzi the future? Maybe, maybe not. It was a big call to drop him. He just hasn't kicked on, has he? I mean, we all, we, we thought a few years ago this bloke was going to absolutely tear Test cricket apart. Um, he had that amazing innings in Dubai last year, but it just doesn't stack up elsewhere in the world. I, I don't think he'll open at the Oval. And I think he's a, a player which might fall out of the uh, the plans very quickly. I mean, there's so much young talent coming through. Will Bukowski, Curtis Patterson, um, I, I think these are the players that Justin Langer will want to bring in over the Test summer, and that doesn't that doesn't spell good news for Uzi. No, it's just over a long period. Usman Khawaja's versatility has really been the problem, and you know, you look at someone like Curtis Patterson that is adept at playing the swinging ball. Maybe he's got a more durable game uh, at Test level. It's just something I think the Australian, as you say, Langer and the selectors will look at. Yeah, I think Will Pekoski's the one. I mean, there's still holes in that batting lineup. Matthew Wade's probably not going to be a long-term fix at number six. So I think, you know, given Kawaja didn't take his chance, there's an open, there's an open spot up uh, up for debate. You know, Wade, not a long-term solution. I think um, Manus uh, has obviously cemented himself in that top order, uh, but I think Pekoski is one that they'll have a really good hard look at in the upcoming summer. Yeah, I think Manus is our number three now for the next little while. Well, why not? I mean, he put his hand up at the SCG, I think it was, against India when no That's one right. wanted to, to play that role. Langer loves him, I mean, because he's a sort of a, a little cardboard cutout of him. They can't get him off the training track. You know, he's intense. He doesn't stop talking about cricket. I think his, Queens, uh, his Queensland teammates say that he eats cricket ball sandwiches for lunch or something like that. He's just... Obsessed with it is a nuffy, um, and Justin Langer loves that. And when you're on a really long tour like the Ashes is, he's the bloke that they sort of lean on for a bit of enthusiasm because it can it can get tiring. It's it's a long time on tour, but he's just always bubbly and happy to be there and enthusiastic. So I think that can't be underestimated as well. So what he does for the group, I agree. Um, I was watching, uh, I think, uh, today this morning on Channel 9 and they had the Aussie boys running up and jumping all over the reporter there. And, you know, the the Aussie boys are really excited. And I I guess, you know, these sort of victories, they do bring out that little fan in you, that little kid that used to cheer uh, when you were a youngster. I'm sure, uh, Sammy, you woke up with a bit of, of a pep in your step this morning. Yeah, that was Tony Jones, wasn't it, getting heckled by, uh, I think, Marcus Harris, and who was the other one? That was quite funny, though, when they ran across to TJ Manus. doing a live cross. Marnus as well. So, 
Yeah, that was brilliant. And that, that's just great footage, isn't it? I mean, this is these boys, th- these are the boys being raw and drawing a, a really special moment for their careers. That was great footage and absolutely woke up with a uh, with spring in the step. It was a, yeah, it's been an amazing series and they've dominated from start to finish outside of that, you know, maybe one session at Leeds. So um, I think that they've got the, the right result. All right. Now, a couple of big pick picture questions to finish, Sammy. Uh, the first one is, so, you know, you, you've just covered a World Cup campaign with the, mm-hmm. the whole world watching, and then you drop back into the AFL finals. Does it feel <laughs> a bit small and insignificant after being at a World Cup? <laughs> you put me on the spot here. Uh, you know, I love my footy. But mind you, when I, I might have been sitting at the MCG on Friday night thinking, you know what, I'd rather be at Old Trafford. Um, eyes of the world watching on. Great test match. Yeah, it's nice to be back for the footy, but you're right. The, the, the global appeal of cricket and, you know, particularly when we were speaking to, you know, guys like Vera Coley and, you know, there were billions of people around the world listening to every question and answer. Um, yeah, it did sort of – it did put things in perspective a little bit. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when we spoke after the World Cup campaign, we gave it a bit of a, a pass mark. But then as the sort of months have subsided, I think that – you know, Australia could look at it as a couple of missed opportunities. Had we picked Hazelwood and had we dispensed with Stoinis when he got that injury, we might have come into that semi-final with a, a much better chance of beating England. And and then you know, you think what might have been? Yeah, I'm not sure. Look, I, I know you're big on the Hazelwood one. I'm not sure you can put down Australia's semi-final exit to him. Uh, it was probably the batsman that let them down. To be honest, I still look back at that World Cup campaign and think if Usman Kawaja doesn't do his hamstring against South Africa, Australia makes the finals and, you know, probably wins it. Uh, it Australia lost by 10 runs to South Africa. Um, Aussie did his hamstring. Um, I know he came back late, but he was on one leg. Australia beat South Africa. They played New Zealand at Old Trafford um, at a venue they were already at and settled and had just played at. I think they win that semi-final and then they get England at Lords where they'd beaten them two weeks ago. Um, and, you know, we saw England in the final. They weren't at their best. So uh, I, I still think it was a, a really good campaign. They clearly weren't the best team in the world. They were on top of the ladder for just about the whole way. And I think they were really unlucky with um, a couple of injuries right at the final hurdle. Yeah, look, that's a good assessment. I do think they should have dispensed with Stoinis earlier. And uh, I think they've actually kind of said that. I mean, Robert Craddock's been saying it. So th- it's out there. Well, it's hard to argue with, isn't it? I mean, the bloke had three side strains. One, which he came back from, and then he did two in the last group game. And, you know, well, full credit to Marcus. You know, he's a super athlete, he, and he, he trained, but he wasn't right to go. I mean, he didn't bowl in the semi-final, and he made a golden duck. So, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. but they should have pulled the trigger and put Mitch Marsh in. He was, you know, his, his training form was, was really good. It was it was right to come in, and they also should have probably played Money Wade in the semi final ahead of Peter Hanscom. I mean, I know JL felt um, like he owed Pete because he was so unlucky not to make the World Cup squad, but on form, Wade had to, to Wade had to replace Usman Kawaja because he was making hundreds, and that's all they wanted from the top order. They were picking a top four for the World Cup players that can make centuries, and that was Matthew Wade. And um, I, I think. More than Hazel not making the squad, I think that selection in the semi-final was more costly. All right, Sammy. Well, I'm going to let you go. But last one. Uh, so, you know, you spend a lot of time touring around England. I want to know any uh, off-field stories you want to share with the listeners and, and how did the English people treat you? Oh, I'll, I'll tell you something quite interesting. During the test match at the bar one night, oh, a few of the Aussie boys having a beer that weren't playing. And I thought... 
we've never been in this in this situation before. They were obviously allowed to have a beer because they weren't in the team. But the previous test match, Marnus wasn't in the team and he, and he ended up batting on day four. So that was that's just a new curveball with a concussion sub, isn't it? I mean, these players that aren't in the 11, they sort of have to be on their toes the whole time because they could wake up and they're playing a test match. So that was a uh, that was an interesting little you know, sidebar. What, what you're saying is they should watch how many beers they have just in case someone gets done. Yeah, you wouldn't want to have 15 beers and then wake up the next morning and, you know, two fast balls get hit in the head and you, you're required to bowl 20 overs. Like, it's just something which cricket's never really encountered before. And I don't no. think these, these guys have thought about it either. So, yeah, not that they do that. I mean, they're all really sensible blokes and, you know, no one was being silly. But, yeah, that was just a, an, an interesting sidebar. Um, in terms of uh, stories, no, it was, it was a very mild World Cup both from myself and uh, I think the team included. There were lots of late nights of working and that was about it. So I can't give you much gold, unfortunately, Menace. If they send me on another tour, I'll come back with a better story. But this, uh, the World Cup campaign was very PG. And did you enjoy England then and the English people? Yeah, they were, they were very, very welcoming. No, it was, it's, a, it's, a, it's a magnificent country. They love their cricket. Taunton seemed a little bit slow at times. Southampton didn't have a whole lot going on, but there were some great cities there as well, particularly Yorkshire for that for that heading test. So they love their beer and they love their cricket, and I couldn't ask for much more, to be honest. I agree. Well, it's a magnificent country, especially when Australia wins over there. So Sam, Can they just fix the weather? Can they, all those washouts <laughs> of the World Cup. Exactly. Get the weather up. That's it. Well, yeah. Sammy, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast. I'm only joking. You go and smash the AFL finals for the Herald <laughs> Sun. I'm sure there's some AFL fans listening. I know Jackson McRae from the Western Bulldogs is a big fan of the podcast. So, um, is he really? Yeah, he's all, yeah, he is actually. So uh, he's your team. So, yeah, uh, look, Good go enjoy you, that man. and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, man. It's all the best. That was Sam Landsberger from the Herald Sun in Melbourne, one of the gun cricket reporters for News Corp. And I guess that's it for this celebration edition of the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Remember, you can keep up with all the news uh, from the ashes at dailytelegraph.com.au or your local masthead, Courier Mail, Herald Sun, Adelaide Advertiser, uh, Hobart Mercury, you name it, all the ashes news will be there. Remember, go and rate and review the podcast. Do it for manners. Leave a review. Send it in so I can read it out. It will be much appreciated. And look... You know, I'm thrilled. It's just been a wonderful, wonderful effort by the Australian team to secure the Ashes. I'm so proud of the the way they've carried themselves despite the hostile, rude and unwelcoming English crowds. Smith has risen to the occasion and Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood have been immense. Tim Payne, what a story from almost quitting cricket to now leading Australia to an achievement it has not been able to do since 2001. You look at captains who failed, Ponting and Clark, never were able to win a series in England as captain, but now Tim Payne from Tasmania has done it, an achievement that he will be able to cherish for the rest of his life and well-deserved after he took over the team when Australian cricket was in complete disarray after the sandpaper affair. This is a triumph for Australian cricket. This is one of the greatest comeback stories in Australian sport. A year and a half ago, this Australian team was at its lowest ebb, unpopular, unloved, and now they are back and the ashes are secure in Australia. 